Hi, my name is Rifki. Welcome to This Week Unpacked. Before we begin, a huge thank you to Jewish Colorado for sponsoring this week's episode. If you too, listening, are interested in sponsoring future episodes, be in touch at podcast.jewishunpacked.com. Okay, as we say in Yiddish, weiter, let's dive in. After a week-long break, talks with representatives from Iran, China, Russia, the UK, France, Germany, and the US are restarting in Vienna. On the table, the West is trying to convince Iran to return to its 2015 nuclear deal with world powers. However, it's not looking promising. According to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, the first week of this latest round of talks ended because Iran, quote, does not seem to be serious about doing what's necessary to return to compliance, referring to bringing Iran back to the JCPOA deal it made back in 2015 with the Obama administration. American and European officials added that Iran backtracked on all compromises it made in previous rounds of negotiations. This week, we'll unpack what does this latest round of talks mean for Israel? How are Israelis responding to the increasingly tense situation with Iran? How will the U.S. respond? And what is next in this escalating crisis? Are military strikes a serious option being considered? First, here's a brief overview of how we got here. In 2015, the Obama administration signed the nuclear deal with Iran, formerly known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, but known to most of us as the Iran deal. China, Russia, the United Kingdom, France, and Germany also signed, plus the EU in general, so basically the same list that's at the current talks. Supporters hope that the deal would limit Iran's nuclear program and prevent it from developing a weapon. However, the agreement was overwhelmingly unpopular with both Israeli politicians and citizens. According to an article from U.S. News & World Report from back in 2015, one poll found that 69% of Israelis opposed the agreement. A separate poll found that 78% thought the agreement would endanger Israel. And that poll also found that 71% thought that the deal brought Iran closer to nuclear capabilities rather than the intended result of preventing the country from having the ability to construct a weapon. In fact, you might remember the speech that then-Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave before the U.S. Congress, several months before the deal was signed, in which he argued that the JCPOA deal, quote, doesn't block Iran's path to the bomb, it paves Iran's path to the bomb. For two reasons. One, according to the deal, no nuclear facilities would be destroyed. With thousands of continuing centrifuges, it would only take about a year, according to American intelligence, to amass enough uranium or plutonium to make a nuclear bomb. And the second reason, according to Netanyahu, that the deal actually makes it easier for Iran to end up armed with nuclear bombs, is that the restrictions on Iran's program will automatically expire in only one decade. Right now, he explained, Iran has about 20,000 centrifuges enriching uranium. But after a decade, they could have 10 times that, they could have 200,000, which means they could make enough fuel for a nuclear arsenal in only a few weeks if they wanted to. By the way, for those of you who don't remember the exact language of the speech, it's really worth reading. Check it out in the link in the show notes. In May 2018, former US President Donald Trump withdrew from the deal, arguing that Iran continued to pose a threat to the US and that the deal would enable Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon in the future. Instead, the Trump administration instituted a strategy of maximum pressure, in quotes, against Iran, which translated primarily to the form of economic sanctions. However, if they thought this would curb Iran's nuclear ambitions, it didn't exactly work. 
Instead, arguing that the deal had fallen apart and they no longer had to abide by the terms, Iran began producing advanced centrifuges and enriching uranium far beyond what the agreement permitted. On the campaign trail, then-presidential candidate Joe Biden said he would rejoin the JCPOA if Iran returned to strict compliance. Following his victory, between April and June of this year, the U.S. engaged in six rounds of indirect talks with Iran to try to revive the deal. Then, following the June election of its new president, Ibrahim Raisi, Iran suspended the talks and continued progressing with its nuclear program. So how are Israelis reacting to all of this? As the nuclear talks resumed and then stalled, some Israelis questioned whether the U.S. and other world leaders really grasped the gravity of the threat posed by a nuclear Iran. David Horowitz, founding editor of the Times of Israel, underscored in a recent op-ed that even though President Biden has vowed that the U.S. will not allow Iran to get nuclear weapons, quote, the president and his team prefer to not even talk about a military option if diplomacy fails. Quote, the president and his team prefer to not even talk about a military option if diplomacy fails, choosing instead to speak vaguely about other options, end quote. Harvitz argued that this wishy-washy language shows that the U.S. refuses to internalize the danger that a nuclear Iran would actually pose. He warned that economic pressure wouldn't be enough, that the Americans need to lay out a credible military threat to deter Iran. Meanwhile, last week, Israeli Foreign Affairs Minister Yair Lapid met with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and French President Emmanuel Macron to emphasize Israel's position that sanctions of Iran must not be removed, they must be tightened, and a credible military threat must be applied. Only those would stop the nuclear race. The foreign ministry described his meeting with Macron as warm and long. By the way, in speaking about Boris Johnson, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the recent birth of his seventh child. Well, actually, according to the many, many articles that I read for a real deep dive into this issue, your intrepid reporter, hard at work, seven is the minimum, but many suspect more. Either way, mazel tov, mazel tov. Welcome to the world. But regardless of meeting with America, with England, with France, Israel has made it clear over and over that whether or not they're able to convince their partners to take military action, they're prepared to take action on their own. According to former Israeli ambassador to the UN, Danny Danone, quote, we don't want it to be the sole responsibility of Israel to deal with the Iranian threat, but if it will come to a point that there will be no other option, we are getting ready for that challenge. We are preparing our military and have allocated substantial amounts in the budget for 2022-2023 in order to be ready for that scenario, end quote. As a reminder, as we spoke about in the recent episode about Israel's budget, Israeli media had speculated that the increase in the military spending was due to preparations for a possible upcoming war with Iran. IDF spokesperson Brigadier General Ron Kolchav confirmed that the military is getting ready for this, telling the Israeli Reshet Bet radio station last week, quote, When I say that we are accelerating the plans against Iran, I mean it. As we've said in the past, we are preparing for all possibilities. Meanwhile, in a meeting with incoming U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Tom Nyes, Israeli President Isaac Herzog underscored that Israel will absolutely take steps to protect itself in the event that the international community does not prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, Israelis were grappling with the severity of the threat. In an op-ed for the Jewish News Syndicate, Nir Barkat, Likud Knesset member and a former mayor of Jerusalem, warned that Iran is, quote, once again getting the last laugh. 
It is hard to watch as the United States and Europe politely attempt to reach a deal with Tehran at the cost of an existential threat to Israel. He wrote that he is personally carrying out a diplomacy campaign and meeting with U.S. officials to wake Washington up regarding Iran. Israeli author Yossi Klein Halevi had a very similar assessment of the situation, stating on the Hartman Institute podcast, quote, I'm very wary of Holocaust analogies, but for me, this is a never again moment. However, Alon Pinkas, an Israeli diplomat who served as Consul General of Israel in the U.S., assessed the situation a bit differently. In an op-ed for Haaretz, titled, Stop the Hysteria, Nuclear Deal or Not, This Isn't 1938, Pinkas first acknowledged that a scenario in which Iran obtained nuclear weapons poses a real existential threat. But Pinkas cautioned against public hysteria, arguing, quote, replicating Netanyahu's populist alarmism about this is 1938 and Iran is Nazi Germany is not a policy. It is hollow rhetoric for domestic consumption and political expediency. Israel is strong and capable of projecting its power in a multitude of ways, means, and technologies. But hysteria or not, Iran has made it clear that its intentions are to destroy Israel. Last week, a top Iranian commander told the Tasnin news agencies, which is affiliated with the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, that if Israel starts a war, Iran will be the one to end it, stating, any mistake by Israel in dealing with Tehran will accelerate its destruction. In assessing the threat, Judah Ari Gross, military correspondent for the Times of Israel, argued that Israelis need to anticipate what happens after a potential strike. He noted that for decades, Iran has been building up proxy terrorist groups throughout the region, groups with arsenals of rockets, missiles, and mortar shells. The IDF firmly believes that if Israel does strike Iran's nuclear facilities, this network of proxies will be critical in the war that could follow. So what's the bottom line? I'll leave you with this. I have to admit, in all honesty, I am not a strategy genius about the Middle East. So I'll focus instead on the nugget that we mentioned before, about this idea that so many Israelis feel, deep within their kishkas, that they must defend themselves by themselves. At the end of the day, most Israelis feel that they can really only trust themselves and not the rest of the world. And as upsetting as that is, after thousands of years of Jewish history, it's understandable, right? Sad, but understandable. My hope is that Israel, together with its partners, will find a way to make lasting peace. And this looming threat from Iran will one day be a thing of the past. Thanks for listening. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're listening to this, but you haven't yet subscribed, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. As long as you do it now, subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you haven't yet, take one second and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, we want to chat about feedback, topic ideas, and who your favorite Boris Johnson child is. Come on, we all have our favorites. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Research and writing for this episode was led by Sarah Himmelis, and the team includes John Kunza, Avi Posen, and Rob Perra. Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked, and I'm your host, Rifki Stern. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.